This is Infants on Thrones. Philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland. Or am I? And this is episode 575, My TBM Uncle and the Tao of Mormonism. Now, I'm pretty much going to share with you an episode that I released earlier today for our Patreon supporters. Now, I had an interesting conversation with two of my uncles earlier this week about Infants on Thrones. And I talk about that, and then I re-release one of our earliest episodes that was called The Tao of Mormonism. And I got to tell you, as I listened back to that episode today, I was sort of amazed that that was an early infants episode. I think it was our, it was our ninth episode. Yeah, it was our ninth episode. Because it fits so, so well into the whole quantum woo-woo direction that I've been really interested in, that I've been exploring these past several months. And maybe my whole life. And hey, this discussion from eight years ago was also the first time that I ever heard the word woo. See if you can catch it as you listen. It won't be hard. Anyway, thanks for doing that, Randy. I'm going to make a point because I'm tired of going. I'm making my point. Go for it. Go for it, man. Thanks for doing that, Randy. Introducing me to the word woo. Hey, here it is. Here's the episode. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Just love it. Just love life. Just enjoy it. Have a good and have a good day today. Everybody have a good day. Hey there, Patreon supporters. Um, <laughs> got some pretty big changes going on in my life right now, which I'll talk about at another time right now. Not right now. Um, but I do have... Um, there's several interviews that I've done that I just need to edit and get out. So I know there's been a little bit of a drought lately, but uh, don't worry. I haven't gone away completely. Um, There's a couple things I want to share with you today. One of them I'm really excited about, and I want to get your input on on how I go forward with it. Um, Something with, with my uncle, who was a mission president in D.C., and I talked with him about Infants on Thrones earlier this week, uh, and uh, he called himself a TBM. I, anyway, it's really, really, <laughs> it's really interesting. I'll get to it. But first, um, I had this thought, I had this conversation the other day with a friend of mine um, about how the potential of every person is so great, you know, and and how kind of we put these limits on ourselves and uh, that, you know, the, the example that she gave was if, if we wanted to, we could fly. <laughs> and I, I kind of went, uh, well, okay. All right. But hang on. Cause we do fly. We do. We've made that happen. She goes, yeah, in airplanes, but I mean like fly, <laughs> like, well, I don't, you know, like Superman or something like, okay. It, but it got me thinking, like, why do we think that there's that big of a difference between flying just in your body and flying in some machine that we've made? You know, if you go back to one of the Alan Watts sharing time episodes from a couple of months ago, 
he talks about these different worldviews, right? The, the the way that we see the world either as like a, a where there's a God that creates everything like a potter creates uh, clay um, or the mechanistic world where everything is like a machine and we're all like different bits and pieces of a machine. Uh, you know, those are different ways of seeing the world. And... And all of the reflection that I've done with Jonathan Haidt, The Righteous Mind, with Sapien, Juval Harari, the fictions that we tell ourselves to construct a society to live in, the way that we've evolved to see each other, to see the world, we tell each other these stories. But at our very essence, at our very essence, we're energy, right? We really are energy. I know I struggle when I hear this because I still push against it like it's this woo-woo secret what the bleep do we know thing, you know, going back to the, the Tao of Mormonism, you know, I think I'm going to republish the Tao of Mormonism conversation at the end of this episode. Randy hated it. I don't remember it. So I, I'll be interested to listen back to it. But um, we're, we're energy that is the same as the energy that's in that airplane. It's the same as the energy that's in the chair that I'm sitting in and the microphone that I'm speaking into and all of this stuff. So like, if you think about it, uh, a human creating an airplane is energy creating energy or organizing energy. We're not creating it. We're organizing it. We're organizing it in certain ways. And it's not the direct energy itself. It's the way that the energy is arranged and organized into matter. And so we take that matter and we create it. But, you know, like I think about Joseph Smith and intelligences, and I want to go back and I want to read that section in the DNC that talks about intelligences because I think Joseph Smith, you know, prophet, whatever, I'm going to go mystic and, and look at Joseph Smith in the tradition of other mystics in the world. I want to spend some time doing those kind of comparisons because I've had thoughts like that before. I haven't spent a lot of time comparing Joseph Smith to other mystics and how mystics get insights. Um, you know, wh- where is that coming from? To me, it's all imagination. It's all imagination. It's all creating these fictions, but that doesn't mean that there isn't something to it, that, that, that it's not coming from somewhere, but it, it's not a complete picture. It's like the, the elephant, uh, <laughs> the blind man and the elephant. You remember the story of the blind man and the elephant? <laughs> Insert mythology episode here. <laughs> so anyway, just this random thought that I had about energy and how, you know, the, the, the way that man can fly, the way that we can do anything is by cooperating with each other, by imagining something, figuring out how to do it. And yeah, we create an airplane and we think that it's separate from us, that it's something different from us. But at that fundamental level, you go back to the David Tong thing that I shared a few months ago about these quantum fields that every electron's connected to every other electron Oh, man, it's such a cool way of seeing the world. Um, I really like it. (laughs) So anyway, um, so I went um, and I I reconnected with two of my uncles earlier this week. And they're both, you know, very Mormon. And one of them actually has listened to Infants on Thrones before. He he knows Scott. He used to he used to work with Scott. my, my uncles are both attorneys and 
so he's listened to some episodes. So we talked about it a little bit, and he doesn't listen for very long. He, I don't know that he's ever really gotten through a full episode, but but it was it was interesting because I just really don't talk to that side of the family very much anymore, and um, especially about this kind of stuff, you know. So then I I, I sat down. I talked to my uncle Matt, um, who was a mission president in D.C. He, he was one of these guys that like. When he was 30 years old, he was made a bishop, and then at 35, a stake president, and then, you know, became a mission president, and, you know, like on this meteoric rise in the leadership positions of the church. And he's only five years older than I am, and and growing up, I really looked up to him a lot. In fact, I've got a couple of stories. I, I, <laughs> I used to have a problem with with stealing when I was, uh, you know, like eight, nine, ten, you know, t- taking taking money out of my parents' wallets, things like that. There was a um, there was this thing in Arizona. I think I was probably about twelve years old, so that would have been what I don't know, eighty four, and it was called Daughters of Zion. And all of the women, all the young women from all the different wards and stakes in Arizona had this big conference uh, at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. And for some reason, I don't, I don't remember all the details, but my mom was doing this thing where she would go doing firesides in the persona of Susa Young Gates, who was one of the daughters of Brigham Young. So she would pretend that she was Susa Young Gates and talk to the the, the the women there. So she was asked to be part of this conference, and then she roped me into doing some kind of performance stuff where it was like singing and dancing with a with a group. I, re- I remember doing it. I remember being super embarrassed by it. But one of the things that they had me do while I was up there was to man a a, a booth selling trinkets, selling. I, you know, T-shirts, souvenirs of this Daughters of Zion thing. And they did not have any kind of organized accounting system. They just gave me this red apron with a bunch of different pockets in it and said, when people hand you money, make change and give them back the change. But there wasn't like any kind of inventory management, anything like that. And every once in a while, one of the bills that they gave me would go into my back pocket <laughs> instead of into the... The, the, you know, where it should have gone. At the end of the day, I went back to the hotel room and just my heart was beating so fast. Do any of you remember that, that song? Uh, my teacher told me I should never tell a lie because a lie will tell you, tr- bring you trouble by and by, and your heart will start to thump and your throat will get a lump and you'll feel so bad you wish that you could lie right down and die. It's much better off to never tell a lie, not even sometimes. I think that was bright music. I don't know. Anyway, my heart was beating and my throat had a lump as I walked into the bathroom of this hotel going, okay, I've got a wad of money in my back pocket. I don't even know how much it is. And it was like $250. You know, I was 12 years old in 1984. That was like $50,000 in today's money. (laughs) Maybe not quite that much, but it was a lot for me. And I was scared shitless. I never told anybody about it. I just hit it. And I, so I, I had like this stealing problem and I was, it was not too long after that. I was over at my grandparents' house and they invited me to an ASU football game 
and I wanted to be able to have some money to buy stuff. And so I went into my Uncle Matt's room and I saw two $5 bills just laying around. He wouldn't miss it. No one ever misses it when I take money. So I took it. I stole it. And then when I got back home that night, I got a call from him and he said, Glennie, they called me Glennie. You know, when I, when I was a kid, my nickname was Chip until I was about nine years old. And then we moved and I didn't want to be called Chip anymore because I thought it was like a baby name. And I said, start calling me Glenn. I would only respond. I wouldn't respond to Chip anymore. But my dad's name was Glenn. And so they all started calling me Glennie, which was like a lateral move at best. It, you know, anyway, so he calls me on the phone and he says, Glennie, did, uh, did you take some money from my room? And my heart started to pump and my throat got a lump and I felt so bad. And at first I denied it. I just was lying. He's like, don't, don't lie. I know that you did. And the way that he did it, you know, I mean, so I, what, I was 12, so he would have been 17, but very, very kind, very loving. There was, like, the way that he said this to me made me feel comfortable admitting my wrong, and so I did. And then I started crying, and I just felt so bad. And he told me, he, go, he really laid the guilt on. He goes, that was my tithing money. <laughs> And that, oh man, that, that messed me up, but it cured me. I was cured. I didn't steal after that. So this is my uncle Matt. And I, I have a lot of, I I have a lot of love for him, but I also had (laughs) an experience with him when I started questioning the church and, and seeing this distinction between the way that people really fixate on the culture of the church and fixate on the symbols and ignore what's behind the symbols. The symbols become way more important than what they're symbolizing. And it's, it's always been my life mission to smash the symbols. That's always what I'm, I'm like, come on. Smash the idols. Smash, you know, that's not where the reverence and sacredness should be. It, 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 representing love, kindness, charity, those kinds of things. Let's smash the symbols, whether it's a story, a myth, or whatever it is. That's always just been a part of me. And I was having this conversation with him where a friend of his was going through the temple, the Mesa temple, and his office at the time was like 10 minutes from the temple, but he lived 45 minutes away and he hadn't brought his Sunday clothes. He had worn jeans and a polo shirt to work that day. And so he was talking about how he had to drive all the way 45 minutes back to his house and then all the way back to the temple to get in and and go to the temple. And I, I said, well, why didn't you just go to the temple in your jeans, rent some clothes there? Because you could rent them. I don't know if you can still rent temple clothes, but you could then. Why didn't you just do that? And he's like, I, I wouldn't walk into the temple in jeans. I, but it's not really you're even going into the temple. It's like the, it, it's like the, the, the ticket booth. <laughs> you know, like you walk in, you show them your recommend, you go in, you change your clothes. You wouldn't wear jeans? And there he's like, no, that's disrespectful. And I went, okay, wait, 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 wait a minute. 
So if you're sitting in, in that waiting room in the temple and you see somebody walking in in jeans, what do you think about that person? And he said, I think that somebody never taught them how disrespectful it is to wear jeans in a temple. And just the, the judgmental, just, just how that fixation on the symbols I just, it crushed me and it really, really, it really disappointed me in him because, you know, my experience with the the money when he was 17, he had been so kind and open and non-judging. And now he was a bishop and stake president and Mr. Bigwig and just so like, I just hated it. I just thought that's, that, that's not what Jesus taught. Anyway, so that's my uncle Matt. That's some background. That's a little aside. <laughs> so I, I've never really talked with him. I mean, that was probably 15 years ago. And we just, we've had a very superficial relationship when, when we've talked. So we, we sat down and we, we, we talked. This was a couple of days ago. And it was a nice conversation. And at one point he started, he, he said, is there anything I can... And I started thinking, oh, I was almost about to interrupt him and go, oh, this isn't home teaching right now. You're not going to say, is there anything I can do for you? But what he said was, is, is there anything that we can do to have a closer relationship? Is there, is there anything, are there any interests that we have in common? And I said, well, yeah, we've got a really, really big interest in common. We just come at it from very different angles. He's like, what is that? What do you, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I said, well, the church. I was like, I'm very interested in the church. I, I've dedicated my entire life to studying the church and talking about the church. I'm very interested in the church and the gospel. I can't forget that word. But we come at it from different, what, different angles. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, do you know the book Sapiens? <laughs> he's like, no, what's it about? It's about Sapiens just a blank expression. I don't, I'm not sure if he knew what sapiens are. And I started explaining to him how at one point in time in the history of our species, there were different types of humans. There was Homo Neanderthal, there was Homo erectus, all these different homos. Sapiens were one. And I just was watching the expression on his face and I went, oh, he probably doesn't even know or believe in this stuff because he thinks that it all started 6,000 years ago with Adam and Eve being formed out of clay and then a rib from that clay. And so I, I, I just was like, okay, I don't even know if I can have this conversation with him, but okay. I mean, he wants to know the way that I see things, so I'll explain it. And then I talked to him about the, the thesis of that book is the, the way that that Homo sapiens evolved to be the dominant species on the planet. You know, the type of species that can actually create flight from non-flight. The type of species that can take the natural processes of evolution and speed them up using technology, which is what's happening right now. It's all still part of evolution. It all still came from that single cell of life at the beginning of this planet and whatever came before that that got that single cell of life where it was. These are the kinds of things that interest me. And I was telling him how fictions were the thing that raised Homo sapiens to the point of dominance in the world now. 
fictions that function as a way to bring humans together in cooperation and progress. And the way that I see the Mormon church is it's one of these fictions, and it brings people together. And you have a sense of community, you get progress, there's a lot of great things that come from it. It's, it's, we, we wouldn't be where we are. We wouldn't be a civilization without it. Yes, I know Sam Harris. There are ills. There are, there are flaws with this. There's problems. But the debate of whether religion is a net negative or a net positive, I've always been on the net positive side. Maybe I've wavered into net negative a little bit, but I'm way on the net positive side now. Thank you to Yuval Harari and Sapiens. So I explained this to him, and I talked to him about... Uh, how I see that there's these symbols that, you know, we're, we fixate on the symbols, what I, what I said to you earlier. And I, I um, asked him if he knew about Ronald E. Pullman <laughs> and the general authority that gave a talk in conference in 1984. And he's like, yeah, I'm not familiar with that. And so I told him the story about Ronald E. Pullman and how he gave this talk in general conference about how there's the difference between the gospel and the church. Because the gospel, the principles of the gospel, things like forgiveness and charity and love, repentance, these kinds of things are eternal principles. They're divine in that sense, as, as far as a guide to how we should live. But the church, the church is a man-made delivery system. This, this is what Ronald Pullman said in this 1984 talk. As a cultural institution, it can change. It can change policies. It can look different from one culture to another. You know, things like earrings, the clothes that people wear, these kinds of things. Those aren't eternal. They're malleable. They can change. And it's a delivery system for the, the gospel. And really, what the church should be is a way to get the message of the gospel to people so that they don't need the church anymore. This is what he said over the pulpit in general conference. And Ezra Taft Benson, Gordon B. Hinckley, Boyd K. Packer, that mob, I didn't call him a mob, not to my uncle, but that group, they didn't like it. And they said, Ronald E. Pullman, you've got to change this. You cannot sub subjugate the church to the gospel because it's the church that's important because we are the church and we are important. I wasn't quite this colorful and adamant in the way that I was talking to my uncle. I was quite diplomatic. But I told him about this. He had no idea. So they made, they made Ronald E. Pullman change the talk. They had him even deliver it in front of an empty tabernacle so they could film it and kind of pass it off as the original. But people had VCRs back then in their homes, and they were able to see the difference between the two things. And you can watch them now. And so I told him about that. And I said, you know, and he agreed. As I, He agreed with the original message from Ronald E. Pullman, the difference between the gospel and the church, the church as a delivery system. He had no problem with that. I don't know if he had a problem with the other part or not. We didn't dwell on it. But so I, I told him a little bit about where I am with it. And then I told him that that's why, that, that's what I podcast about. And he said, what's a podcast? He's like, I've heard about podcasts. I've never listened to a podcast. I don't really know what they are. He, he used to go up to Sholo, Arizona and do radio shows. Uh, I don't know, 
again, 15, 20 years ago, he would do that. So I, I mentioned that to him. You remember you used to do that? It's, it's exactly the same thing, except instead of being published on radio waves, it's published through the internet, and I do it from my house. He's like, oh, I'll have, I'll have to start listening to that. You know, because then we can have some conversations about it. And I went, eh, I don't know if you want to quite go and do that. It's, it's, uh, it, it'll be a little grating to your, <laughs> to your system. It's pretty crass. It's pretty disrespectful. It's very crass. It's very disrespectful. But maybe I can find some episodes for you. He, he said, well, I'll, I'll just work my way through the catalog. I'm like, well, there's about 570 episodes right now. He was, well, 570? So, um, and then I told him how I've changed through the, the, the course of it and that what I, what I really want to do, you know, conversations that I had with, you know, Anthony Miller and Tammy Whiting and Brady and Micah and, you know, a, a lot of the conversations I've had recently where I just really want to find a way to bridge the gap between those of us who question and leave and have lost our family and community over it and people that stay and lose their family and community that leave. You know, how can we bridge that gap? Is it possible? And I told him a little bit about the reviews that are on iTunes that are, I'm, I'm so proud. Every time I, I feel discouraged about the podcast, which happens, um, I go and I read those, those reviews on iTunes and just the majority of them the, the, the message of how this podcast has helped people in times of darkness, it's really um, encouraging to me. And he, he appreciated that. He said, that's really cool. That's really cool what you're doing. And I also told him about TBM. I, I, I said, do you know what a TBM is? He goes, no, I've never heard of that before. I said, it stands for True Believing Mormon. I think it's, I think it's mainly just part of ex-Mormon folk speech. It's, it's, Part of, it's, a, it's jargon for ex-Mormons, mostly. He goes, oh, so I'm a TBM. I'm like, you're totally a TBM. He goes, yeah, I'm totally a TBM. <laughs> that was a fun moment. And uh, so anyway, he wants me to send him some stuff, uh, some episodes. So I'm going to send him the Ronald Pullman episode. There's a few more I'm going to send. And I'm curious if any of you have ideas um, because you probably know the, <laughs> the the episodes that have been important to you uh, more than I would. What would you recommend that I send to my uncle to have conversations about? And here's what I want to do. I want to record my conversations with him. I want to I include that as part of the podcast. I think that would be fascinating to have him listen to some old episodes and then talk to him about it. I don't know. It might It might not be. Interesting, but I think I don't know. I think it could be. I think it could be interesting. I think it could be be valuable. Um, and it's this isn't the first time I've thought about talking to him on a podcast. When when I first started doing Mormon Expression, I was at his house once. We were playing ping pong. He's really good at ping pong, (laughs) and I asked him if he wanted to come on and if I could interview him. And he said, well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about, you know, church stuff. And he's like, what kind of church stuff? I'm like, oh, kind of like the reading like anti-Mormon books and talking about them and stuff. He goes, oh, Glennie, why would you do that? 
Why would you even do that? But I think he's in a place now <laughs> where he might do it. I don't know. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. So I'm interested to know from you, what, what kind of questions would you want me to ask him? What, what kinds of things would you want to hear from a former bishop, stake president, and mission president who doesn't really know much outside of the Mormon bubble? He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't really know much about sapiens or podcasts or evolution or history or, you know, I don't know. So anyway, I wanted to share that experience with you because it was pretty freaking awesome. And I'll tell you this too. When I left there, I choked up. I got in my car and I just felt this overwhelming emotion that... Like what I've been doing with this podcast for so long has been so important to me and I haven't been able to share it with people that are also important to me, like my uncle and other family members, because I don't want to, (laughs) you know, like I I don't want to ruffle their feathers and I don't want to give them any more reason to think that I'm this horrible anti-Mormon person or whatever. And there, and I, I've got to tell you one more thing. When we were having the conversation about, uh, you know, let's talk about these things, and he was talking about boundaries that we could set, you know, because I told him I I don't want him to feel uncomfortable, and and uh, he goes, yeah, and I and I promise I I wouldn't try to convert you, and I laughed, and I said I'd like I don't know you could try that might be fun. And and the thing is, you don't need to convert me because I'm already converted. I'm totally converted. You know, all, all of the stuff that was good about Mormonism, I've come to I've come to peace with. I've incorporated that into my life, or I'm trying to, in better ways. And and the things that I've found as being toxic, hurtful, harmful, those are the things that I'm discarding. But you don't have to try to convert me. I'm I'm converted. I'm good. But as I was as I was getting in the car and driving away, I just felt this overwhelming sense of like gratitude that I had that conversation with him, and kind of hope for where it could go in in the future. I'm excited about it, and and I hope that you'll be hearing more about it in future episodes of Infants on Thrones. And now I want to share with you, and so the Tao of Mormonism which again, I haven't listened to in forever. It was me and Randy talking with Rock Waterman and Andrea Statz, who some of you may remember. She did a blog called Eliza R. Snitch many, many years ago. She's super cool, really smart, funny. She lives up in Alaska. Her internet's terrible. (laughs) She was on the, uh, she she did the, um, the Big Love podcast with Bob and I back in the day. And, uh, she she was on the Krista the Psychic episode where Emma Smith was channeled. Anyway, uh, so we were talking about the Tao of Mormonism. I'll put that in right now. And I want to thank you once again for supporting Infants on Thrones. Um, I'll, I'll be back doing this more regularly like I have before pretty soon here. And I hope you guys are all doing well. Are you doing well? I hope you're doing well. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This this was the ninth episode 
of infants on thrones. And the Tao of Mormonism was one that we recorded for Mormon expression, but was never, uh, never released. John Larson just wouldn't let it see the light of day. And I was a little bitter about that. I was a little bitter about that. So I kind of took a little swipe at him at the beginning <laughs> of this year. It, for those of you who listen to Mormon expression, you'll recognize the Mormon expression theme music. And, you know, there's a little tongue and cheekness going on in here pissed him off. He called Randy while Randy was at Disneyland. He's like, what the f*** are you doing? Anyway, I forgot about this. That's funny to me. <laughs> Is there a better way to get this one across? Yes! yes. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think yeah, there's there probably several better ways. <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones, the podcast that never sleeps. Okay, well, maybe that's not exactly true. So let me start off with a few apologies. Apology number one. For those of you avid, insatiable listeners who tune in hoping for a new Infants podcast each week, it's been a bit of a dry spell. Sorry about that. What can I say? We've been busy. Apology number two. For those of you who have been loyal, adoring fans of Mormon expression, I want to deeply and sincerely apologize for any and all hurt feelings caused by today's playful little intro. It was not meant to be snarky. Well, okay, maybe it was meant to be a little snarky, but it's all out of love. Apology number three. For those of you not following Infants on Thrones week to week who are not disappointed by our ever-increasing slacktitude, or for those of you who have never listened to Mormon Expression and don't really get the joke, sorry that you had to sit through Apology 1 and Apology 2. So here's the deal. As many of you know, both Tom and I were producers and panelists on Mormon Expression for several years before that podcast ended and this one started. During that time, there were maybe four or five episodes that were produced, but for one reason or another, were never published. Well, today you get to hear one of them. Why today, you ask? It's simple. All our other infant projects are currently still in their, well, in their infancy, and not quite ready for publication yet. And rather than let a fourth week go by without an infant's podcast, we decided to dip into this discarded dung heap and dust this one off in the hopes of finding something salvageable. I hope you find it interesting. So let me set the stage for you. The panel discussion you're about to hear was originally recorded in April 2011 in response to Rock Waterman's blog post, The Metaphysics of Mormonism, on puremormonism.com. In his post, Rock delved into the murky realm of quantum physics to try to illustrate some of the teachings of the Mormon founder, Joseph Smith. Specifically, those teachings on intelligence. <laughs> No, I'm not being facetious here. Joseph Smith taught that intelligence is the basic building block of life, or at least the basic building block of human life. Let me explain. Once upon a time, before God, before man, there were these things called intelligences, or the light of truth, which were not created or made, neither indeed can they be. But at least one of these intelligences was far more intelligent than the others. And that's God. That's how God came to be. And God, seeing us as weaker intelligences, 
organized us into spirit bodies and then placed those spirits into mortal bodies so that we could advance as he did and become eventually as he is. Rock's theory is that these intelligences are essentially the building blocks of all living things. They are themselves living things, and they themselves have agency. They have choice. They can decide to follow or not follow the direction of God. But obviously, they just do whatever he says. Why? Because they love him. God shows them respect, kindness, compassion. He treats them all nice and special, and they just love him for that. So they freely do what he asks. Thus, according to Rock, the source of godlike power is respect, kindness, and compassion for others. And that's what we're here on this earth to learn. That's the process of becoming like God. So these intelligences have free will, they act, not always in a predictable way. But Rock contends that the discoveries being made today by scientists into the realm of quantum physics are validating this position. And that was the major thrust of his blog post, this theory that he referred to as the Tao of Mormonism. It's an interesting theory. And really, anything that encourages respect, kindness, and compassion is at least worth listening to in my book. That's my theory, at least. But you all know our dear friend and fellow infant, Randy Snyder. Well, if it's not f***ing good, you can edit f***ing out, mother <laughs> Yeah, that's him. Now, I love talking to Randy. He often sets me straight when I'm otherwise curvy. And when I mentioned Rock's theory to him, he scoffed a bit and said something about how he really liked Rock and his ideas, but poor Rock just suffers from bad thinking. Bad thinking? What is that? And that's another way of saying that his conclusions don't make sense, right? I sort of hate that phrase, by the way, making sense. What does it mean for something to make sense? What does it mean for something to not make sense? Because whether you or I or Randy agree with Rock at all, his theory certainly makes sense, at least to him. There must be some logic to his reasoning or something there to bridge the gaps or anything that we might see as gaps in his logic. So what is that? Inquiring minds want to know. So the moment that Randy questioned Rock's thinking... I sort of smiled inside, and right then and there determined to get the two of them together to discuss this Tao of Mormonism thing and see what kind of a podcast we could make out of it. I also invited another friend for balance, Andrea Statz. I felt that Andrea had the ability to appreciate and sympathize with Rock's position, but at the same time also evidence a keen mind and what I hoped Randy would recognize as good thinking. So the four of us got together and started to talk. But eventually, the conversation took some twists and turns that I didn't quite expect. They just didn't quite make sense. Or did they? Why don't you listen in and decide that for yourself? I am joined by three good friends. I've got uh, Rock Waterman. Pleasure to be here, Glenn. Thank you. And uh, I've got uh, Randy Snyder. Good evening. And I've got Andrea... And are we using your last name, Andrea? We can use my last name. Okay. I love my last name. Okay. And we've got Andrea Stats. <laughs> and, Hello. Uh, I think uh, we're calling this the Tao of Mormonism, and this is based on uh, a post that Rock wrote on pure Mormonism. One of the things that is unique to this podcast format that you don't get if you go and read his blog is that Rock is a bit of a seer himself. <laughs> 
And more, well, a lot more than Thomas Monson is. <laughs> <laughs> well, explain. What do you mean? By well, that? well, one one day, uh, Rock was led by the Spirit, and uh, we don't have time for the full story. But he discovered some ancient records, <laughs> and being kind of an older guy, he just happened to have in his possession an ancient record player, and so <laughs> he listened to it, and what he discovered was an actual early recording of the actual Joseph Smith sermonizing about the restored gospel and the power that controls the universe. And we are actually going to play that for you right here, right now. Now, The force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. (laughs) who by the way uh bemoaned and despised his his involvement with star wars to the day he died oh alec guinness did yes yeah okay so so this this uh quote actually of course right we've got uh alec guinness obi-wan kenobi and this is what uh rock uses to uh kick off his blog with um, you know, you're comparing what the, the the gospel to the force, or Joseph Smith's teaching well, to the force. Explain why why did you start with that, Rock? Yeah, not the gospel, but I was actually fascinated by how closely uh, Obi Wan's words echoed those of Joseph Smith in uh, DNC eighty eight ninety three. Read the blog, but anyway, uh, it, <laughs> it turns out <laughs> it turns out that uh, that uh, early Mormon theology was very close to what we would call today the force or, or, the, or the Tao. Uh, the Tao is, uh, has been uh, defined by one professor as everything in the universe. It, it, it goes, it cont- it's contained in the universe and it actually is the universe. And Joseph Smith taught about this matter called light that contained intelligence and truth. And, and he talks about how that is actually the controlling forces that, uh, I don't want to say control God, but that, that where God gets his power. So is that like what the priesthood is? No, I don't think the priesthood is anything like that. I think the priesthood is, I don't know how I would describe the priesthood. I, I, I wouldn't even want to get into it right now. But it's, it's, more, <laughs> it's more like this connecting. Now, I always thought the spirit was either the Holy Ghost that somehow jumped around inside of each of us at the same time, and so that we all have the Holy Ghost at some time, he was sharing his personage. But it turns out that the Spirit is actually this huge, comprehensive plasma, invisible plasma, that simply inhabits everything. And in that plasma, we'll call it, is, uh, is intelligence. This is how we can communicate through prayer, because... Something we ask for in one place can be immediately communicated in another. Apparently, we, are, are, we do have individual spirits that made from this chunk of matter, and this is a fine matter, uh, pure matter, as Joseph Smith says. So we are all made of that, and that's what the essence of all of us are. At, at, co- at the core, I am a being of light with a, with a body of, of coarser matter clothing me. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Faith is something that, uh, it's not really, I don't see it anymore as a religious thing. Faith is is a reality. For example, 
I have faith that tomorrow the sun will come up. I have faith that if I step off a building, I'm going to fall. Faith is the science of possibilities, which is what they call uh, uh, quantum theory. It's the science of possibilities. This, this was one of my favorite phrases that you used in your, in your blog. Joseph's far-reaching teachings. <laughs> I, I just love the way that sounds. Well, we, we, we have so gotten away from the glorious things, the, yeah. the important things. Basically, what he's saying is you deserve to be open to the possibilities that there are a lot more than you can possibly imagine going on out there. Rock went on like this for a while. The important parts to take out of that discussion, and what I'll summarize for you here now, is the idea that different views of the universe have changed over time. Rock claims that ancient Eastern religions like Buddhism and Taoism understood the fabric of the universe better than we do today. Even in Western science, it was believed that outer space was comprised of different levels of a mysterious plasma-like element called ether. And that view changed with Einstein and gravity and the theory of relativity. And that view is again changing today with quantum physics, plasma theory, string theory. But at this point in the conversation, Randy had heard just about all that he could stand. Let me, can I interject just real quick? By all means. Just, just a quick little thing. What killed the ether, the death knell for ether, um, <clears throat> was when they discovered that waves can propagate inside a vacuum that you didn't need uh, a substrate to have waves propagate. It's not a philosophical uh, thing. It's a, it's a scientific empirical thing. It is dead. So was that the beginning of the, uh, the plasma theory of the universe? Um, I don't, this plasma thing, I think that's mm-hmm. some fringe thing. I don't think that's anything established. Well, it is uh, a fringe thing. But, it's it's uh, definitely a fringe thing. It's so fringe it's, that I hadn't even heard of it. Yeah, uh, well, it's have even address that. Uh, it's it's so fringe. So quantum consciousness is definitely a, a bigger movement, and kind of like the new age uh, spiritual uh, spirituality or um, you know uh, mysticism that's um, crept into the, uh, culture. The plasma theory is gaining ascendance primarily because uh, some things that. Uh, quantum theory apparently can't explain or, or, or has to has to rely on you end up with with black holes and parallel universes and you have to start believing a, in a whole lot of this stuff in order for string theory for example to, to work so the plasma theory takes it back to an electromagnetically based universe rather than a gravity based universe and so that's what these guys are looking at these guys said look it can't get any weirder than this so Let's look at this. Well, well, before before we talk about plasma and string, let's 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 first define quickly the what what we're talking about with quantum. Okay, my, my understanding is that quantum is defined as the minimum amount of any physical entity involved in an interaction. So it's a really small thing, but apparently there's something smaller than that that they detect, and that's a quark. And so I I take that and I I say from a theological point of view, we might look at the quantum as that which acts and the quark as that which is acted upon. As uh, Lehi is telling his sons in in 2 Nephi, he's he's saying that everything... Everything is either either acts or is acted upon. So I'm looking at that like that. I'm I'm not advocating, I don't know, but I kind of think that's, like I said, it's a... Interesting playground. As, uh, when you when you uh, talked about uh, quantum and quarks, 
I was very um, glad that the next line that you put is at this point I really don't know what I'm talking about. Yes, I don't. <laughs> um, you don't. <laughs> and uh, and I don't pretend. I'm not a physicist. I'm an orthodontist for crying out loud. But um, you know, just just looking up quark and quantum on Wikipedia, a uh, quark is what makes up protons and neutrons. A quantum is the smallest, like you know, packet of. Uh, energy. I think quantum is talking more about electrons and quarks is talking more about the nucleus, the protons and the neutrons. So I really didn't know where you were going with the acted upon. Well, um, I don't really know. I don't really think they really know. For one thing, can't observe these things. All we can do is mathematically assume that they're out there, they're down there. And I'm also aware of the theory that there is no such thing as the smallest thing that Every time something splits, you, you, you still end up with something. Well, yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, we're always finding new frontiers, even yeah. in the micro world. Um, but my problem is, is when people insert some kind of like esoteric knowledge that is is totally shooting from the hip, um, like this quantum consciousness. Um, that that's where I have a problem with is. It, you know, people making stretches uh, and interpretations that uh, aren't, and a lot of times are abusing the what we understand about physics. Well, look at look at the way I word things, Randy. I don't believe these things. I don't advocate these things. I just say, isn't this interesting? This is what I've seen. This is what I've learned, and this could be. Once again, we come back to the the science of possibilities. Is it possible? Could be. Let's look. Deeper, but if if you have me on here because you think I'm an expert on quantum theory, you got the wrong guy. I'm just, uh, you know. Yeah, I think if we had an expert on quantum theory, everyone would be bored to death. So, yeah, <laughs> um, it's so hard to it's so hard to understand it. It's even harder to explain yeah. it. Yeah. Well, quantum theory apparently goes two ways. It's the study of all the biggest things in the universe, and then also the study of the smallest things in the universe. And when you start looking at the smaller things, they don't work anywhere like the big stuff does they don't behave uh according to the laws of physics and so it's it's, it's now that's puzzling. okay that that's where i take exception they that's just a fundamentally false statement well quantum, well, quantum physics is not the study of how matter sometimes disobeys physics that's that's not true quantum physics is the physics of really really small particles of which some you know in in our brain where we've evolved to to experience the world at the macro level Things aren't acting intuitively to us. We aren't, our brain isn't evolved to understand what's going on at the quantum level. That doesn't mean that they're breaking fundamental laws of physics. It's just that we haven't fully been able to unify quantum theory with the theory of relativity. You know, how, how things behave at the super micro level versus how things behave at the super macro level, um, you know, with planets. So it's, it, that's, that, that's an exception I have to take. Yeah, I don't disagree with yeah, you. I think it's you guys are saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's my understanding that this is one of the things that, that they're noticing, that that things don't behave the way we expect them. But uh, maybe I, apparently I misspoke if I said this is what the science is, because I think the science has actually been defined by one of its advocates as the science of possibilities. They're saying, we don't know how this works, it certainly is fascinating. Let's keep looking. Well, I think one of the important things is that we don't need to really intuitively understand 
a lot of the assumptions that are mysterious because quantum theory um, just works. Uh, it's, it, it's able to predict things incredibly accurately. And just because some of the assumptions we have to make seem counterintuitive to our mind, our brains, which aren't evolved to understand things at that level. Like we don't, I mean, you can't really even say, what does an electron look like? Well, that doesn't even make sense. Right, right. And scientists don't even care anymore because it doesn't matter. They don't need to know what an electron looks like. It would look like as if we could look at, you know, the glass that's sitting on the table in front of me. Um, it's not important in being able to use it and understand the behavior at this level. So oh, uh, I just think it, a lot of the stuff I'm drawing from, I'll just, just okay. full disclosure is from, if people want to look it up, it's fantastic. It's only 22, 23 minutes. It's by Richard Dawkins and it's called Queerer Than We Can Suppose. And, uh, and he basically is talking about how we don't have to understand how things work at the, at the super micro level because our brains have evolved to, because for instance, when you look at a table, what is a table mostly made of? It's mostly made of atoms. What are atoms mostly made of? Empty space. Mm -hmm. So if the table is made of mostly atoms and atoms are made of mostly, sp mostly space, and I, in turn, am made of mostly atoms, which are made of mostly, spa mostly space, I should be able to put my hand on the table and go right through it. But we know that that, that doesn't happen. And so our brains have evolved to interpret the table as something solid that you can't try to, you know, you're, you're going to get yeah. damaged if you try to go through it. And uh, whereas, like, if a neutrino could evolve a brain, it would see that the table is mostly empty space because it can go right through it with no problem. Um, and so basically we just can't – we're not evolved to see the world – we're evolved to see the world in a practical sense. And that's why things aren't intuitive at the super micro level. Um, this is why the movie 2012 is so awful. Uh, or at least one of the reasons why oh, the that's why twelve is so awful. Okay. Uh, the, the the whole premise is like, okay, why does the world end? Well, they they didn't even they're so lazy that they didn't even <laughs> they try didn't to even something. Give plausible. us a reason. Yeah. Well, they gave a reason. They said, oh, you know, because the sun bombards us with neutrinos every day all day long <laughs> when the sun's up, and they said, you know how neutrinos used to not interact with matter? Well, now they do, and that's <laughs> and that's equivalent to me saying, you know how when you used to touch water and your hand would get wet? Well, now your hand explodes. <laughs> That's the equivalent of, of, of the premise of 2012. Neutrinos are neutral charge. They travel almost at the speed of light, and they don't interact with matter. So um, I thought 2012 was a very exciting film. We're talking about the, the, the feature film, awesome. right? Yeah. I, I, I watch it. It's so... Unbelievable. Are we talking about a feature film, or is this some documentary? That's no, 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 no. We're talking film. about the feature film. Oh, okay. But, but, but we should be talking about your blog. So, <laughs> I let's talk about movies. <laughs> so, so you well, talked about quantum physics, and you talked about string theory, and you talked about plasma theory. But all of these things were a means to an end, because what what you were interested in, Rock, was. Joseph Smith's teachings. You were interested in light. What, you know, we, we started talking about DNC 88 um, and, and how Joseph Smith talked about intelligence and light being what was made up in the universe. And, and so really what interested you was how science is now making these discoveries that 
possibly could be the same things that Joseph Smith revealed that might also have been similar to what uh, had been known even by Eastern philosophers. Is that right? Uh, yeah, are we talking about Tao, Chinese, sure, sure, Japanese. Yeah, you know, I'm fascinated by by what is this light? What is this intelligence? What is this spirit substance that can be in all places at once and communicate across the universe instantly? So yeah, I'm, I'm bringing it all home to that. And uh, because what I do is I look at uh, you know the advances in quantum theory and how some of these uh, more far out New Age people and they talk like early Mormons, but you don't hear early Mormons you don't hear Mormons Day talking like that at all because uh, we, our religion has changed. We don't yeah. we're not interested in the things that Joseph Smith taught that count. That's and that's really what I'm talking about. And that's what my whole blog is about. Yeah. Getting back to the core. Th- theology that's really fascinating to me and not just the well we have to obey our leaders that sort of thing that we're taught today yeah and i mean to to me that was what really jumped out when you uh, let me let me find it here you gave the dnc section 130 verses 20 20 to 21 we learn that there is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of this world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it's predicated. And uh, you, you say that the way that the church interprets this today is basically obey the commandments that are given to us by the leaders of the church. Yeah, and I think it means something completely different. I think it means align yourself with the powers in the universe. And when you do, then these irrevocable laws that have existed before the foundation of the world, and I assume by that it means before uh, that, that God didn't lay down this law and say this is the way it's going to be. This, these are the way things are. Under quantum theory, there are high vibrations and low vibrations. And if you want something, if you want to receive something from the universe, and I'm putting that in air quotes here, then you have to align yourself with those vibrations. Now, I don't know much about it. I'm not, a, I, I'm not advocating it. Once again, I don't, I'm not a believer. There's a lot of, that I'm hearing from advocates of quantum theory. Uh, and this getting back to you, Randy, some people say that, uh, that the, the table in front of me only exists in my mind. It only exists. It's not there when I leave the room. Well, I can't wrap my mind around that. No, that's not. That's not true. The table exists when you're not well, in the room. Well, of course, See, that's the kind of that's the kind of crappy woo that uh, that what the bleep do we know propagates. Crap, well, wait, wait. What did what did you say? Crappy woo. <laughs> yes, it's actually well, a scientific term. Crappy woo. <laughs> I like that. I'll use it. Are Are you I, wearing like pink fuzzy slippers right now, Randy? <laughs> crappy woo. Well, woo. I'll tell you, Randy. Uh, woo, um, there, it, woo is a term. Crappy's slang. Woo is an actual term. That is, describes, or is that like uh, the, the Taoism? Mysticism and pseudoscience. Like is woo way, science. crappy woo. Woo. Well, I, I, anyway, <laughs> I agree with you thoroughly. I agree with you completely, Randy. That's kind of a nonsense thing that, that you, you yeah, somehow like, have created. That well, I've, I've created this table, and it's, it's here only because I created it. It's only because it's in my mind. Because that's nonsense. But you've got to remember, this, ent- this, this field attracts all kinds of oddball ideas. And so that's not what I would consider part of quantum theory. That's just somebody's idea or interpretation of it. So... Uh, 
Uh, and, and well, and usually it's to it also entails selling books. But yeah. I, I know you don't do that, so I, I'm I don't I'm not going after you for that. But this whole abuse of physics, the you know the tables in a superposition until it's observed, and then it comes into being, or you can affect you can con- affect your reality with your consciousness, like with horrible films like The Secret and what the bleep. You can doing. affect reality with your consciousness. Hey. You can affect. You can affect. Hey. Hey, 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 I'm still here. Hey. Okay. Even and- though you didn't observe me. <laughs> oh. Exactly. Zing. You were- Zing. Oh, <laughs> my point. You are there regardless of whether I consciously perceive you. Well, I'd forgotten so, she was there. Was I? How, do you, how does consciousness interact with matter and affect its... Um, okay. Well, here's an example um, from a book... I read called the Tibetan book of living and dying. And I can't remember who it's by, um, a Tibetan. And he was talking about, um, the idea of consciousness and thoughts having, um, effects on the physical world. And, uh, you know, there's obviously a very simple example of look at everything around you. That was an idea before it ever existed before it ever existed. Um, but then the other example that he used was haven't you ever, uh, felt physically ill because of a mental state had a stomach ache because, uh, you were nervous or gotten a headache because of anxiety, something like that. So our thoughts absolutely do affect our bodies. And so if you look at that on, a larger level, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that our thoughts can affect, you know, the world around us. Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go after the first thing you said. And you said first, before you observe something, it was a concept before you observed it. That is mistaking the map for the place. Rocks existed before minds came into being to perceive the rocks. So if you're saying the rock didn't exist, I'm not saying the, con- the rock. The con- I'm the saying like something that's man-made. But the concept of a rock does man-made. not exist until a mind exists. So the the fact that we eventually develop brains that could perceive the rock has no effect on whether the rock exists. Now the second thing you talked about was your mind uh, talking about your mind affecting uh, how you feel. Well. <laughs> That's everything, you know, that's the hypochondriacs, everything that they feel is in their mind because how many times do the hypochondriacs go to a doctor? They truly feel, and there's no way that anyone can convince them that they don't feel like they have a stomachache, but they can't find anything wrong with their stomach, no matter how many tests they do. So, yes, your mind can completely create these illusions of symptoms, but that doesn't mean that the symptoms exist. I'm not in the talking organs. about illusions of symptoms. I'm talking about actually being sick. Well, feeling sick is different than actual something wrong with the organ that you're perceiving has a problem. It's a well-known fact that stress, when you're under stress, you are much more likely to get actually ill. But stress involves an interaction with those organs. So, yes, yeah, stress is a different thing. If you're feeling stressed... Yeah, stress, there's nothing magical about that. There's no consciousness. There's no. I'm not saying that any of this is magical. But you're saying that consciousness can affect matter, not that neurotransmitters 
and but hormones it, can can cause uh, organs to feel less than ideal. That mm -hmm. those are two totally separate things. We're talking. One thing is really is, not. <laughs> I'm with I'm with Andrea. They are two different things. You got you got you got neurotransmitters, which are chemicals, and you've got enzymes. All these things that are involved with stress. Of course, those are going to adversely affect organs. That has nothing to do with consciousness. These are chemicals, not consciousness. Then why did Heavenly Father put the pituitary gland in the brain? Yeah, yeah, huh, huh, huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So that, what is uh, it? You know, what is it that's driving all of those neurochemicals? Not not quantum physics. It's uh, it's uh, the secretion of of uh, enzymes and proteins. And uh, why? Why is, why is that happening? Nothing, there's nothing mysterious or mystical about that. What I'm talking about is. But is, she's not saying mysterious or mystical. She's just talking about thoughts, right? But okay. So let's say because this is something that I've dealt with. Let's say I'm having a panic attack. Okay, now the panic attack is, is a physical reaction. Obviously, there's, there's, there's hormones and adrenaline and all kinds of stuff going on that causes that. But where does that start? It starts that in the brain, of course. That starts with thought. But here's where it becomes magical, Randy. It becomes magical if I'm thinking about you getting sick and you get sick. Like exactly. she, she's not, yeah. now, like, if, I, if I'm observing rock and I'm saying... <laughs> That's voodoo. My, my negativity, my negativity, I, I'm feeling... This is what you get from awful movies like The Secret. They're just awful. Some of the worst stuff that's ever been produced by humans. But, but that's, that's, not, that's not what Andrew's got, talking about. Let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> I'm not saying that... Me, ...that the negativity around me is going to quantumly cause an effect on everyone around me. And in right. fact, okay, let me give you a little anecdote. My brother teaches um, high school kids a private school in Salt Lake City. And one of his uh, students' aunts got totally into the secret, which totally abuses quantum theory. I've been talking so much, I'm getting caught in mouth. Um, so she totally believes that negativity breeds negativity because of the quantum consciousness of people around you. She, uh, her, her sister, who is the mother of my brother's student, um, is going through a divorce. So she's just got negativity all around it. And she will not even be in the same room with this, with her sister, because she's afraid of the quantum negativity effects that are going to happen. And this is some of the real world, world examples of why this stuff bugs me. Well, because that kind of fear, that kind of fear is, is what's promoting the negativity. That's negativity in itself. So she's, but it, she's but making it's still, it. It's invoking what you're invoking, which is quantum consciousness that somehow says that my consciousness can affect other people. Well, it can. Now, you be around, around a grumpy person, with our around a grumpy person, you get grumpy. Of course, the negativity affects, uh, no, 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 affects not, people. Negative, yeah, okay, but that's that's different. Uh, if you're grumpy, you're giving uh, nonverbal cues, and all right, what well, do you I, don't, I don't know. I'm Ra cues, but Randy's Randy's grumpiness is kind of amusing me. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but to compare that your brain can have an effect on the well-being of your body to 
the, my consciousness have an effect on objects outside my body. Those are two different things. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I see what I you're see. saying, Randy. If, if, if somebody's talking about uh, a mystical, magical thing, I'm going to be skeptical of that. But if, I, 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 don't th- I don't think that's what Andrew was saying. No, I'm not talking about, like, if I really think about getting a new car, I'll get a new car. But I do think that our thoughts become our reality. And if you focus on really negative things, then, yeah, you're going to experience a lot of negativity in your life. And if you spoke, focus on positive things, then you're probably going to notice a lot more positive things in your life. And, and you didn't say our thoughts become another person's reality. No. Right. Okay. So, you know, I, 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 something about the secret. I, I saw it once, and uh, so I, I'm no expert on it, but I recall a scene where a kid wanted a bike really bad, and then there's another scene, and he gets a bike. Uh, so I think some people have gotten the wrong impression of how thought creation works. It doesn't work like that. If you want a bike, the kid probably worked for it. Uh, earned the money and bought it. And that's what happens with Andrea's um, example of the car. She wants a car, you start doing what it takes, and the next thing you know, eventually you have yourself that car or you have the but house. But you, you don't have to bastardize quantum theory to come to those conclusions. And I'm not saying that positive, having positive thoughts don't drive you to do positive things, which then leads to actions. I mean, that's just normal stuff. But you don't have to invoke quantum theory to explain those things. It's because it's, there's a scene in the secret rock where a guy's sitting in his freaking couch and he's just sitting there thinking positive things about money, 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 money. And he walks to his freaking uh, mailbox and pulls out a check. I mean, come on. Well, he's magic. That's, that's the stuff that is like, it's like, it's, it's abusive and it, and it promotes things that are not productive because people are going to think that they can just sit there, meditate and think about positive things and do nothing and positive things are going to happen in their lives. That's, well, I, that's, the, that's the part that I have a problem with. I, 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 I've often thought I should read the book and see if it goes into, into any more detail uh, and uh, redeems itself. Because I, I agree with you. The movie leaves an impression that there's a big genie in the universe. All you have to do is ask him for stuff and he'll give it to you. It's never worked for me. Well, okay. This, this does kind of lead us to a couple of points that you had in your blog though rock and it ties into what we talked about earlier with this quote from dnc 130 the the law irrevocably decreed you know it's not it's not obedience to the laws the commandments it's obedience to the laws in nature in in the universe universe right you know we're talking about karma we're we're talking about like attracting like and and that's what you suggested that joseph smith was teaching yes and and and, that's what we've just kind of trashed here well, I'm not coming. No, no, no. I do agree with that. I'm just saying that you can't just sit back and wish for things, physical, material things. Although there are people who, for whom that's happened. So, so, let, so let's let's explain that. Explain, okay. explain your. Uh, it, well, explain explain Joseph's teachings. I mean, what what did what did Joseph Smith teach? What's what's in the DNC? Uh, oh gosh. Uh, you mean at one thirty? Well, yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. you know gratitude attracts gratitude or. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, love, charity love attracts, attracts love. Charity attracts charity. I do believe that. I do believe that if you give uh, without thought of reward, you end up um, being taken care of somehow. I used to be what I'd call a taker. There are two kinds of people: a giver and a taker. Now I'm pretty generous with my money to uh, beggars and homeless people on the street, and uh, 
I'm not rich as a result of it, but I don't think too much about, oh my gosh, I can't afford this. And I just, we, we, seem, we seem to get by. I, I think that's very similar to what's in the secret. N- not, not that you're sitting on your couch doing nothing, waiting for something to happen. Yeah. You, I mean, you, you, you're putting some action behind. But it's this, this, these okay. acts of charity, it's this like attracting like. Okay, I think, I think thought vibration motivates action. So um, that's the first step, thinking about something, thinking about a house. Eventually, you find yourself with that house, but you've worked toward it. You've moved in that direction. So do you think that somebody in Uganda, uh, you know, someone who's uh, struggling to survive, if they think hard enough and they, they have all these positive vibes that somehow they're going to have a house? Well, first, See, that's ask not you, fair. You, you can't just bend the universe with your thoughts. No, but you're, you're kind of getting away, Randy, from the point that Rock was trying to make in his blog, that Joseph Smith was teaching, here is how you can learn to become like God. Yeah, I'd say so. It's not by somebody in Uganda thinking, I want a house, poof, here's a house. No, I'm not talking about that at all. That's, that's not it. That's missing the point. Okay, what's the point? Tell me the point. The, the point is learning to be a charitable, loving person. That's exactly it. Then what do you have to invoke quantum theory for? <laughs> well, well I, I was talking about quantum theory as the way the universe, uh, apparently the way communication reaches That's how the universe, the universe works. Because, yeah. because he's, thinking universe about, he's thinking about these particles in the universe as individual people. They're, they're agents. Anthropomorphizing yes. particles, yes. which is what our brain has evolved to do. Because they, they, they have agency. Well, that's a way of understanding them. Because they have agency to either obey particles you. Particles have agency? Yes, that is the point of this blog. That they have, have agency. That's the point of his blog. If, if no, there's some type of intelligence. That they can, that they can choose to either obey you or to reject you. And if it you might respect be like them, choose to obey God. Yeah. So if, well, this, if this they... does remind me, this does remind me of King Benjamin's discourse because I've always loved King Benjamin as a true believer. Yeah. He says that we're even less than the dust of the earth because the dust of the earth obeys the commands of God. Right. We don't obey God. Right. But they're just dust. Yeah. If God imposes, if there is a God and He imposes a force on a particle of dust, it doesn't have a choice. It acts. Well, Randy, because, I ask you, is it possible? Is it possible? Is it, po- is it possible that there is some tiny primitive intelligence attached to every tiny little molecule? It doesn't have to be any smarter than a two-year-old. It can either say yes or no. It can either respond to love or respond to anger. But What's I the think consequence there's... to a particle of dust if it chooses to disobey God? I, I don't think it, uh, it... It's not a question of disobeying God. It's a question of God understanding how to command the particle. I'll just, I'll just give my answer in this way. Is, okay. is it possible? Anything's possible, but you can't, can't disprove God. You can't disprove anything that you're saying uh, definitively. Is there any evidence that particles have, have uh, choices or do they just respond to forces? Well, this is our this is this is this is our religion. I mean, you don't. There's it's not going to be proven. This is once again where faith comes in. It's well, my it's, my answer is 
There is there's no, ab- no yeah. evidence to show that particles have any kind of agency. Well, I suppose if you were at the wedding at Cana and Jesus changed the water into wine, you would say, well, and you were there and saw that, you'd say, well, there's evidence that particles can change and can obey God. But you weren't but there. That didn't and, happen. <laughs> well, I know. According to you. <laughs> I mean, so, if, if, if I was there when Samson killed all the Philistines, or whoever it was he killed with this jawbone of an ass, <laughs> I, Samson. would I be convinced that God had a hand in that? Dude, Probably. Mark but it Samson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I concede the point, Randy. I, um, you know, I, there's no evidence. I, there isn't. But, I mean, I, and, and to me, I, I think we're here to discuss the points that Rock's making on the blog, not to prove whether or not they're oh, yeah. true. <laughs> you know, one of the things that's nice about this new format we do on Infants and Thrones is I can edit things out, I can edit things in, and uh, I want to make a change here uh, because Randy asked the question about evidence, and while I still say, yeah, I... I don't see any evidence. I don't know that there is any evidence. The point that I wish we would have made in the discussion is that this is the reason that Rock is bringing in quantum theory in the first place. He, If I understand his argument right, he wants quantum theory to provide the evidence that Randy's asking for as to uh, particles having a choice in the way that they behave. And uh, that's the connection. I wish we would have made it in the original discussion. We didn't. We moved on to other things, but I want to jump in and make it now. So guess what? I just did. Can I just give a little history of myself just to... Yeah. I, yeah. I, wrote, a, I wrote a paper um, my freshman year of college um, that was talking about how God is not a magical creator God, the Mormon God, that he is a... Um, he, he, he uses his supreme intelligence to create things. So I totally know where you're coming from, Rock. I totally do. I, I, it was a place that I was. I used to, like there was, um, and actually I got a 98 on that paper because I showed how God is the supreme scientist. He uses supreme intelligence to, to manipulate matter and energy to create the universe. What did you do wrong? Uh, I probably had a grammatical error. Uh, or two. There's no such thing as a hundred on a paper. I'll show you a couple. I got four. This guy didn't give hundreds out. Uh, he even told me I got the highest in the class of '98. But I told this stuff totally resonated with me um, because the Mormon God is not a magic God like the Christian God is. He doesn't exist outside of time and space like the Christian God does. And he. Uh, I don't know how magic. How is that magic? How's what magic? The Christian God. Uh, because he creates something out of nothing. The Mormon God just manipulates what's already there. Uh, Joseph Smith, Rock could back me up, is on record as saying that, uh, you know, God didn't create matter. It was uh, matter can't be created or destroyed. That's one thing Joseph Smith seemed to obliquely get somewhat correct. Um, but... Uh, what was the other thing? Dang it, now I got derailed from my... Um... Oh, have you ever <laughs> you've heard of Chris Heimerdinger, right? No. Yes. Yes. yes okay. Yeah. Tennis shoes among the Nephites. I was a huge fan of Chris Heimerdinger on my mission. I wasn't supposed to listen to him, but I did anyways because I was a rebel. And uh, he had a book called Eddie Fantastic. 
um, <laughs> where he had the supreme science brain that was doing all these amazing things with his science, but he was using Mormon theology. And one of the things he said about um, becoming like God, you know how it says, you know, God, no unclean thing can dwell with God. He says, well, in physics, matter can't coexist with, or order can't coexist with disorder. So when we become obedient, we become more ordered. And that way we're able to exist with God. So all these things, just I can understand where rock's coming from. They totally resonate with me at one point. Um, but in the end, you know, they're just products of his really cool imagination. And that's, I mean, I love rock. Uh, I love the stuff he comes <laughs> with. It's really cool. But I'm, it, I'm not feeling the love, Randy. But no, I, we're gonna. Cool. At, you at know what? Podcast. I'm gonna go over all the stuff that he did that I wanted to stand up and applaud that he wrote in his blog. Huh? Okay. Um, I'm not just this asshole atheist that thinks everything Rock does is stupid, but a lot of this stuff used to resonate with me, but now it doesn't with my empirical, skeptical brain. What I really like about this message, regardless of how true any of it may or may not be, you can you can live your life like this. You, you can live your life being a charitable person and a loving person and, you know, kind towards other people. And this would give you a reason to do that. You, you, don't ha- you don't have to have this reason to do it. No, because look, Randy, I'm sure, is a very kind, charitable person. He's all right. I, God doesn't care if he doesn't believe in him. I think God cares more that Randy is kind to his fellow man than whether he believes in, in the supreme being. I, I, I really believe that. So I, I don't understand these Christians and Mormons who, who get all frantic because someone's an atheist and, and they, we've got to change them. Who cares? You know, you, you made a point in the blog, and we talked about uh, the, the, the effects of thought on healing. Definitely have to agree, Rock, with your um, <laughs> what you described. It was really kind of funny because we've all been through it, right? The three, I mean, not Andrea, because you're not worthy of having the priesthood, Andrea, because you're, you know. Yeah. You're oh, she, she's worthy. Yeah. You don't have, uh, Sorry. Well, you don't, you don't have the necessary uh, piping. There bits, but. Right. But at any rate, you know, there's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure going into a house. So somebody's sick and, and you're like, hey, is my worthiness going to affect whether they get better? Or is it just their faith or is it my faith and their faith combined? And you got all this crap going through your head, and then you and then you do what Rock said in his blog. You couch all your terms <laughs> into if thy will, you know, thy will be done, or if thy, if if thou have if you have faith. Yeah, conditional and, upon your yeah, faith. You, you, and all this. you hedge. You totally hedge the whole because blessing. We know because it's, we know it's a crapshoot. How many times? Right. In your experience as a Latter-day Saint, even no matter if you're most wor- most worthy as a missionary, whatever, have you actually? laid your hands upon somebody's head, given, given them a, a healing blessing, and had it miraculously work. Well, this I is, I mean, this is, a very, this is a very sensitive topic with me because my mom died of cancer after um, eight years of power blessings and special blessings and blessings on blessings. And, and, you know, I mean, okay, God needed her on the other side more than my 14-year-old sister needed her desperately. Um, okay, whatever. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's totally arbitrary. It puts a lot of pressure on you. you. You always couch your terms, and you just don't see these stories happening like they've been reported back in the 1800s. And, and yet, you know, I, they used to. I believe, I definitely I believe, believe they, they used to, but even crazier miracles happened 2,000 years ago. Water turned to wine. Yeah. You know, the farther back you go, the crazier the miracles. You know, Elijah, was, was it Elijah that called down lightning to destroy his enemies that doesn't happen anymore you know 
Joshua, was it Joshua who had like a few hundred men and they blew a trumpet and the walls fell down? I mean, to me, the skeptic meter goes up. The farther back you go, the crazier the miracles are. Maybe the miracles aren't really real. Well, I think the problem is the priesthood no longer works. And that would be consistent with prophecy. We've rejected the gospel and and we we now have a church that worships the church. Well, I think that's a, a great place. To, uh, to wrap it up. It's, it's Wait a minute. <laughs> we never talked about what the bleep do we know. Yeah. Oh, we didn't. This is awful. I don't want to hear you just like rip great, on that movie. It's, it's yeah. a great film. It's a Can great I, film. Oh, right? my God, Rock. My I, God. I think, I think yeah. we're going to have some, some serious disagreements okay. on that. Okay. I just I, don't so. understand like, the need to... to just talk about how horrible something is. Yeah. Okay, like if you don't Glenn, like it, you don't like it. Yeah. It's not a matter of taste. <laughs> it's not a matter of taste. Okay. So what is what is what the bleep do we know? It's it's started by the Rantha cult that is headed by Jay Z Knight, who summons a thirty five thousand year old warrior god. And you don't believe that, Randy? How can because, you be such a skeptic? Rantha <laughs> has an awful Indian accent. From 30,000 years ago. Yeah. She got her revelation in a trailer park. There's a red flag. <laughs> so the whole thing was funded by a, the Rantha cult. Okay. Yeah. And well, then. Now you're, now you're arguing guilt by association, Randy. All right. There's a lot more in there that's worthwhile. So, I get, okay, Andrea. Uh, Nietzsche talked about good versus evil and good versus bad. Good versus evil is like. Rock versus Hitler. Rock is good. Hitler's cool. Okay. Good versus bad. Oh, what a relief. Good versus bad is is Shakespeare versus uh, what the bleep do we know? Okay. <laughs> what the bleep do we know? It, it isn't intrinsically evil. It's just bad. It's really bad. Okay. You're comparing apples and oranges with. You know, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm just talking about that. This isn't good versus evil. This is good versus bad. Mm, this is, yeah. So you got the whole thing is started by this Jay-Z Knight fraud, okay? So then they do these bullshit experiment, the, you know, the, the water experiment where your consciousness turns the water into crystals. Yeah. Uh, that I was, bought that. You bought that. I buy that, yeah. <laughs> you buy it. Oh. All right, I'm... <laughs> You know, you know, talking to an atheist, trying to talk to an atheist is like trying to talk to an evangelist. evangelist. Oh, yeah. I completely agree, Rock. I completely agree. You both credulous, both your credulous minds would believe because that's what credulous minds do. You see, you only only believe things that can be empirical. Whoa, whoa. Now I have a credulous mind. You do. You think I'm dumb. No, 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 no. No, this is. I not don't a have. I'm a very skeptical person. Not a but I'm just saying, like, you know, I'm not saying that I buy into the water crystals thing. Okay, uh, so but, but that's what I'm talking about, though, Andrea. Is that this movie tries to pass off bullshit studies as if they're real and they're fairy tales? This guy is not a scientist. It's never been reproduced. And he cherry-picked the samples. He manipulated the photos to, to, you know, he changed the contrast to make them look even more spectacular. It was an art project. It wasn't science. Um, And then they talked about, hey, Rock, you remember this part? 
There's a story where the Native Americans were looking out to the sea and they couldn't see the ships. Yeah, I don't. I, 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 a, okay, if I don't have to spend any time. You don't have to convince. That's, that's a little odd. It's a made-up story, and it doesn't make any sense, and it, it yeah. empowers. Okay, but no, here's, here's, what, you got, here's hey, what you're doing. Hey, what's the harm? What's the harm? Okay, let me get to this. i got to get okay. to this point. Okay. What's the harm? Jay-Z Knight's husband got HIV positive in 1992. Uh, it's about the time Magic Johnson got HIV positive. Jay-Z so? Knight's husband rejected medicine, traditional medicine, in favor of Jay-Z Knight's mystical, magical, quantum uh, healing techniques. He died a year later. Okay? That's the harm. If you want to know the harm, go to what's the harm. So he, he exercised his free agency. Who cares? Who cares? The man died and he could still be alive. That, I mean, but, th that matters to me. Okay. This, well, this life now matters to me. Not okay, see, the, in, in my head. opinion, the guy, goes, the guy gets into the next life and goes, whoops. Exactly. <laughs> You're more concerned with what happens after death. I want, I'm more concerned with what happens in this yeah. life. Well, I would be concerned. I think that's a dangerous attitude to care more about what happens after death than to care about what happens. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's not the position I'm taking. But what I'm saying is I can understand your concern if it was if – he, if, if he said to you, you cannot have medical care because we're going to go through Jay-Z Knight's methods, then, then that's a problem. But I allow everyone to make their own choices. If he, yeah, well, he dies, he dies. He's stupid. So it doesn't bother you at all that, uh, say, a Jehovah's Witness would not allow their child to have a blood transfusion because of a verse in the Bible that says that that's forbidden by God? That doesn't bother you to let their kid die? Yeah, or absolutely. that they let themselves die? <laughs> I don't want to open this can of worms. But, but it's the same thing. It's along the same thread. It's a belief that they have. I believe that it that blood leads to death because all they care about is what happens after you're dead. Okay. From, from what, I've, what I've read, a blood transfusion is more dangerous than a saline transfusion. Better to have a transfusion of saline and build up your blood with, uh, with beet juice and spinach juice than to take blood from somebody else. So, A gunshot victim is <laughs> not yeah, going to... Well, they have, not going to help a gunshot. No, 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 no. But they have plenty of saline on hand. But let's not let's not open up. That's a whole that's what, a whole other argument. Why, why are you so afraid of death, Randy? I I'm just afraid of okay, death. here's I, what. Because the devil going to get him. Yeah, I'm going to go to hell. So <laughs> I need to prevent it. Well, but I'm not not even just yeah. you. I mean, for everyone, don't don't you know that that we're all matter and matter is light. And it's intelligent, and it advances, and it progresses, and there's hope in that. And, no, have, and, and God's going to take of care of us. Finishing, it, no, it's the people, people go to a better place, Randy. They go to, people go to a better place, Randy. <laughs> and I believe they do. You know, so if if the guy died because so it doesn't matter, because he made a bad choice, so what? Sometimes the next life is a better one than this one. And and Christ redeemed people. So Glenn, you're such a you're such a d sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Well, so I just feel like just because you don't like this movie or you don't like the secret, I, that doesn't legitimize the position of all of this is crap. You know. Exactly. Exactly. You're no, but but out. but the fact that Rock points to what the bleep do we know is a really good source is telling of Rock's epistemology and his credul credulity to woo. And so he takes echinacea, which has absolutely zero <laughs> evidence 
of having any uh, efficacy. Uh, what, what is up with you and the word woo tonight? Because <laughs> this is what it's all about. Rock to is the woo, woo master. Grab woo. Oh, Why okay. did you have me on? You had me on to, to be the, the, the counterweight to his yang. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know if I got that right. Okay, but uh, here's what I, but, and here's, you got to understand, why do I care? Why do I way. care? Glenn, why do I care? Because, because this, this credulity that is breeded, bred by uh, Rock's epistemology, which is whatever feels good is, 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 is true. That's not which, what I said. But I, okay, I'm, I'm oversimplifying. But stuff that resonates with you, whether it's got any kind of foundation in the in, in reality, you, you you kind of ascribe to it, and that's what leads you. And, and I'm the same. I was the same way when I was a Mormon. I was the biggest sucker. Oh, I, well, I'm I, glad you have everything all figured out now. God, Andrea, please. <laughs> but before I became a skeptic, I, 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 okay, the uh, Brian Dunning podcast. One of the things he talked about was the big scam of water softeners. Guess what? I bought one of those suckers for $5,000. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. I'm a sucker. I'm still oh, paying for it, by the way. That's why it's going great. Randy, can I just remind you what I wrote here? Right after I recommended the, don't, uh, what the bleep do we know, I said... Keep in mind that not everything I recommend here contains information I agree with completely or that is all 100% consistent with gospel principles. I make these recommendations because I found much that is of value in them. I think you may too. Check things out and decide for yourself how much it is worth to you. Now let me, you, let me read you from your own blog. Don't be okay. afraid to look into unusual claims mm-hmm. from unusual sources. Sometimes that which most resonates with the soul can come to us through unlikeliest people. Mm-hmm. If a book or video seems at first glance the hippy dippy new age nonsense, don't let it scare you off. Turn off your skeptical meter. I'm just inserting myself. <laughs> Either should you be intimidated by authorities who counsel you to avoid non-approved sources and information, no matter what authority comes from the realm of science. So you're basically you're, you're you are drawing a parallel between established science and Mormon. No, no, no. Era. I'm saying don't no, let no, it no. scare you off. I didn't say accept it. I said don't let it keep you from investigating. One of my favorite scriptures that both is, are often biased against truth. Religious authorities and scientific authorities are biased against the truth. But, but that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that this is true. He's not but, saying but, that but this is true. He's just saying don't up. be afraid of it. You're setting people up. Like they could... People aren't going to have the tools, the, the skeptical tools that they need, the critical thinking tools they need to parse out the bad. You're not the, giving the, people credit, enough credit to make their own decisions. I say, hey, I found this interesting. Check it out. You might not. You might think it's crap. You might find something in there of value. I found something. I found a lot of value in what the bleep do we know. Now, you've picked some things that, that, are, that are iffy, but that doesn't mean throw it all out. Here's your epistemology. The spirit within you will confirm whether something is of value or not. This is, yep. this is the epistemology. This is where we break, Brock. No, okay. it's not because your, your spirit within you is doing exactly the same thing right now. You just no. don't call it spirit. Oh, God. I don't go by feelings. <laughs> oh, bull crap. You're expressing <laughs> nothing but feelings does. right now. I, I, you've been, you've been expressing feelings. Daisy Knight, oh, you've been man. expressing That's feelings. This is why you're I moaning actually, feelings. I wanted Joshua to be on 
So that it wouldn't be one against three, because... Uh, it's not one against uh, three. It what? is. No. Because you're the devil's advocate, whether you believe me or not. I know you, you are more aligned with me, but you're the captain devil's advocate, and you like to do mind <laughs> with people. <laughs> then, oh, come on, <laughs> and, and so you're, you see an opportunity... You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna pile on, but. Well, what? then why, why wouldn't I make it even and go two on two and and take on Andrea and and uh, Rock and we could like double team. We could. You have more. I think you enjoy. Uh, I, uh, I'm gonna sound narcissistic then if I say that, so I'm not gonna say it. I know I was trying so hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining. I enjoyed the discussion. I hope we got something out of it. Uh, you know, I, I I really enjoyed the blog. It's a long read. There's a lot in there. Um, you know, what I what I took out of it, I think I already said that there's uh, some some good points in there. Ways to to uh, to live your life that I find inspiring. Even if you kind of get lost in a little bit of the quantum and the the string and the the plasma <laughs> stuff and the you know the 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 things to Joseph Smith, I think some some interesting connections um but uh appreciate you coming on and as always the discussion continues oh anyone for the closing prayer if i didn't hurt your feelings and i didn't do my job well, what? I'm just kidding. You shut me down right there, man. You shut me down. <laughs> just watch the uh, the video uh, in Richard uh, Dawkins' voice. Quiver, then we can't suppose. Is that... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'm warning you, though. Uh, I understand Richard Dawkins is an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was... Super interesting to look back on. This is this is Glenn from 2019, by the way, for anyone trying to, to keep track. I'll be honest with you. For most of that conversation, I didn't know what they were talking about. I, I liked Rock's blog. I remember reading it and really liking it and being interested in the idea and wanting to have that conversation. I had watched What the Bleep Do We Know. I don't really remember that much about it. I've tried to watch it a couple times since and just can't. Um, I'll try it again at some point. But I hadn't looked into quantum mechanics. I didn't know what he was talking about with string theory and plasma theory. I'm still not quite, quite sure what he's talking about. But, wow, that was really interesting to see the evolution of Glenn, which, you know, I started off in this episode talking about how I used to be called Chip, and then I eventually said, no, no, I'm Glenn. I'm Glenn. You know, my name, <laughs> my name is Dow Glenn Oslin II. And so I, after listening to this episode on the Dow of Mormonism, I'm thinking maybe it's time to start going by Dow? I don't know. Anyway, hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. <laughs>